This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. And we're so glad to have Zupan's with us as we start 2000. We're a little into 2019 now. I yeah. almost said 2016. Oh, wow. Why. Whoa. I don't know why. Anyway, 2019. And uh, f- for those of you playing at home, um, t- January is citrus month, yeah. usually. That's where you, when we get some of our best citrus. Absolutely and, the best citrus. And Zupan's is the place to get your citrus. Have you ever gone and just stood there and looked at any of any of the three of Zupan's produce uh, departments. Oh, I love it! No, it's it's, it's not, so beautiful. It's, it's a it's, work of art. It's beautiful. I've I've Instagrammed it before, right? Because they do they do some really cool the way they stock the the produce areas if everywhere. You, if you had an beautiful. architect say, "Do our produce department," that's what it looks like. That's what it, I mean. A really good architect, but, but maybe more. Any. But maybe more importantly, when I'm in there, there's always somebody there. A couple of people actually that are there to answer questions and help and, and help and you slice out. Slice a bit of fruit for you. Oh, I've tried this. Happened multiple times. So I just recently we talked about it on previous episodes and uh, in their ads, uh, the sumo mandarins. Oh yeah. Oh God, I bought one. Yeah. And brought that home and said, "Why did I only get one?" So then I go in. The next time, and I loaded up with about ten. Mm-hmm. They're heavy. They're yeah. big and juicy. It was it. It created quite a a little blip in my bill. Right, they were worth it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but I mean, ten mandarin sumo mandarins was uh, you know like six or seven pounds. So, mm-hmm. so if you wander past the produce section, Chris, just a little bit further and find end up like near the meat counter. Yeah, should be aware that uh, Dungeness crab in season and once again, Zupans is the place to go get your Dungeness yeah, crab. The seafood counter, not necessarily at the meat counter. Well, well you can get some good crab. Meat. They're next to each other. Yeah, no, I, no. I guess I should uh, separate those two, but they're they're in the same general area. And and by the way, you're not going to find a better meat or seafood counter anywhere. Yeah, they're they're so beautiful and they source. Great product. Have you had those big scallops? I don't know. I haven't had the scallops, but I all the time get their kebabs. I get their marinated meat kebabs. Which they have many varieties, different flavors of chicken and lamb. and. Beef. My favorite, the chicken coconut curry. There you go. I do it every time. They've, right. they've got pork, they've got chicken, they've got beef. If if you like meat, Zupan's Markets is the place to go. There you go. And and uh, Lots of ready-made dinners as well. If you're For like sure. me and you like to just grab something yeah. and do no cleaning, Zupans is your, is your helper. Three locations on West Burnside, McAdam, Lake Grove, and of course always at Zupans.com. All right, here we go. It's time once again for Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork with your host, Chris Angelis from Portland Food Adventures. And Cork Johnson from Kink.fm mm-hmm. and many other places. Yeah. You're all over the place. Especially yeah, I, on weekends. You're everywhere. I'm a, Were you pretty recently much, in if, New York? I saw your daughter. No, no, no. She was not in New York, but she was at the NYCDA, the New York Dance, or the New York Dance Alliance Competition. So pretty much you say I'm everywhere. I, if it's a weekend, I'm at a dance competition. In this case, it was NYCDA. So how much of your time at the dance competition do you spend with your cell phone in your hand? Well, you know, we <laughs> we learned a while ago for, for some of them where there are conventions and competitions together where the girls are there for like 15, 16 hours. Yeah. We actually, even though it's only in Vancouver... Because mm-hmm. they have a better uh, convention center Washington, than Portland, you mean Vancouver, Washington. Yeah, we actually book a room there. So my wife and I, we just hang out, in the just room. hang out in the room, watch TV. Nice. So that's pretty much supporting the girls, supporting the girls watching... by, by by watching HGTV or the <laughs> right. or the Food Network is pretty Very much good. what it, what it comes down to. Very good. Yeah. So speaking of supporting, mm-hmm. we have a gentleman on the podcast today, Leaf Gildersleeve. This is uh, two time. This is the second time on the show. Yeah, and we had him on exactly a year ago because he's supporting sustainable seafood interests. Yeah, uh, not only here in Portland and in Oregon and the Northwest, but um, he's advocating in in Washington D.C. Uh, in front of senators and Congress people uh, to make sure that uh, the environment is safer and that people are aware of what we're eating and. Uh, why we should be doing something to protect a species that may not be, spe- many species 
that just may not be around forever unless we do something. Yeah, this is a guy who has uh, was raised in the seafood and the fish industry, and so he's seen the changes over his thirty-eight some odd years. I think that's how old he said he was. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's I think it's important that you have a voice of maybe the younger generation talking about this because he's going to be there for some time. He sees the problem. He's seen the problems, and he sees everything. He has seen everything change. And I, I think he's a great advocate here in the Portland area to he's also talk about it. Very articulate. You know what he didn't mention? He talks about his uh, website, flyingfishcompany.com mm-hmm. and shuckportland.org. Of course, we talk about that festival coming up yeah. uh, in a couple of days. Um, but what he didn't mention is signing up for his newsletter. So oh, yeah. Because he writes a nice blog about what he's doing. And you learn a lot about fishing and, yeah. and and sustainable seafood and what he's doing. I mean, I you know, there's certain people with boundless energy, right? And uh, he seems like he's got it. He's got it. You yeah. know, just to mention it, I went to the opening last night of the New Mother's Bistro. Mm-hmm. Lisa Schroeder, boundless energy. Sure, <laughs> I mean, that place is so beautiful that she just built. Yeah, um, and and to be a chef and care about it. And then we went to the closing of um, Tasty and Sons. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to Tasty and Daughters right. coming up. Those people, the, the Gorham's boundless energy right. too. So well, I think they're passionate about it. Yeah, I just wanted to bring up what a pretty momentous night in Portland food world was yeah. Mothers 2.0 and then the changing of the guard of from the sons tasties. From sons to daughters. Yeah, that was a fun, yeah. fun thing to do. And then I went for breakfast at B-Saw's this oh, morning. Man, you, where all Lisa over the place. Yeah. yeah. It's been a nice little Portland vacation, I guess you can call it. So um, that has absolutely nothing to do with Leaf Gildersleeve and Shuck Portland that's coming up. But uh, that just, we're hosts of this and we would like to talk a little bit about. Sure. We got a little dance in. We got, yeah. we got a little mothers in. There we so, go. Um, enjoy this with Leaf Gildersleeve. Right at the Fork is proud to be supported by Zoopan's Markets. For over 40 years, unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to the freshest baked goods, flowers, and more. With a delicious emphasis on locally sourced items. The best of the Northwest Bounty can be found at your closest Zupans on West Burnside, McAdam, or Lake Grove. And at Zupans.com. Eat well, put taste first, love your food. By Ringside Steakhouse. Owned by the Peterson family for generations, Ringside Steakhouse has long been a landmark of the Portland landscape, featuring impeccable service that has set the standard for nearly 75 years. Enjoy the finest aged steaks, their world-famous onion rings, and even Ringside's legendary late-night happy hour. Whether it's a special occasion, a business dinner, or just a great night out, make a reservation at ringsidesteakhouse.com today. And by Portland Food Adventures. Inviting you to listen to Right at the Fork, episode number 170 with Proud Mary Coffee's Nolan Hurdy. Then imagine yourself eating and sipping your way through Melbourne, Australia this April for nine incredible days of VIP treatment at Nolan's favorite places in Proud Mary's home city. It's all at PortlandFoodAdventures.com under the Trips tab. Contact Right at the Fork host Chris Angeles for more information and extra savings on these PFA food journeys. Well, um, thanks. Since you were last on, you actually completed shuck number one, right? Plus, I signed up to go out with you to see, and I pussied out, <laughs> on a, and I felt so bad about that. Did you know about that, Court? I signed up for one of Lee's now you were going to go outshore out? expeditions, and then the poor guy, for two days in advance, I'm texting him, the weather doesn't look good, blah, 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 what happens with... And got a little intimidated by like a 50 foot sea swell. Yeah, well, no, heavy rain heavy rain. was something I didn't feel like doing out on the ocean for that long. And this is somebody that lives on the Oregon coast. Oh, he's just <laughs> giving it to me now. Up until now, he's, he's just yeah. been nice about it. He's, he said, No, he, you actually told oh, me that fine. I did not, that I made the right call. It was yeah. a shitty day. Oh, it was there. totally shitty day. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I guess it would have been a good memory had I done it, but I, there were there was there were extenuating circumstances that I had an, uh, something else going on. I can't remember what it was, but hey, like I said, it's happen. all good. No, you're very nice. I would have thought I was. Is that something you regularly offer up, or is that like an exclusive thing for for Chris? No, that was through no. Flying Fish. It's a um, something that I offer. I do you know different kinds of food tours, whether it be a fishing trip off the Oregon coast or a oyster farm tour. Oh, okay, dinners on the coast, etc. 
When's that coming up again so I can cancel again? Uh, no, uh, I don't have anything planned right now, but the season should be ripping and roaring by springtime again. Mm-hmm. So we'll do, I'm getting ready to set another oyster farm tour date and then I'll set another fishing date as Which well. Which oyster farm? You know, I normally go up to either Chelsea Farms, Chelsea Shellfish Farms in Olympia, mm-hmm. Washington. I stop by Taylor Shellfish up there as well in Shelton and then go up to Hamahama up in Hood Canal. Hood Canal. Yeah. There's one I pass when I go up, I can't remember the route number, but I just go up to South Bend. Or is it, yeah, South Bend, Washington. And yeah. there's one on the on the left that's right on this little inlet. Huh. It's pretty big. I don't, yeah. I don't know. I thought maybe you'd know offhand. But. Washington produces, I don't know, 80% of the shellfish. Oregon is way behind when it comes to aquaculture and, and shellfish production. There's some oyster farms in Neetarts Bay and then Yaquina Bay. And then a little bit outside of there, a couple other approved sites. But that's about it. And wasn't there a day way back when, because I think I watched this episode on the Oregon Experience, um, when Oregon and Washington both, like over 100 years ago, produced, the. there was like a a competition, not competition. It was more balanced. There was more balance. And there was, yeah, they were both fighting for market share. Yeah. Um, And what changed that? You know, the the state needs to invest money in not only the training and the education behind an, uh, an industry like aquaculture, but then they also need to put the money behind the permitting processes and the ability to test the waters to ensure, because they have to test those waters every week to make sure that they're safe uh, to eat raw oysters out of. So it, it requires some money from the state to invest and also to give up some land to lease those plots of land for oyster farms. And Washington has taken the bull by the horns and, and done that. And, How long ago did they start doing that? You know, it's been going 80 years. It's been going oh, a long God. time or yeah. more even. And no one in Oregon ever said, hey, let's do what they're doing? I, You know, just you to, are. A, uh, to a more minimal scale. Yeah, but you are, right? Yeah. You're yeah, yeah. Trying to take the bull by the horns. I guess you wouldn't necessarily use that in relation to shellfish, bulls and mm-hmm. horns. But um, <laughs> but you are. That's one of your, isn't that take one of your missions? Take the rockfish by is, the gills. Is, yes, the rockfish by the gills. Are, is one of your missions an Oregon mission or a Northwest mission, or is it, a, is it a sustainable fish mission and human beings consuming that? Does it matter to you whether it's Oregon or Washington? You know, just being localized here, it is important to me. Um, that's part of the reason why we developed the Shuck Portland events is to raise money to go to our nonprofit um, beneficiaries to restore native oyster restoration projects on the Oregon coast. Uh, so, it, you know, being here in Portland, it is near and dear to create programs that are local, but more importantly, on a broad perspective is to get the general awareness for sustainable seafood and aquaculture and sustainable aquaculture out there so that all, you know, we can be a beacon of information for the rest of the nation to learn from as well. So it's it is local, but it is also broader. So is the mission of Shuck Portland to go beyond? I mean, you know, this is an international podcast. We're reaching Afghanistan here. Wow! So we actually do. We have yeah. listeners in Afghanistan. Huh. But my point, right? But is the mission of Shuck Portland to educate people? Obviously, you want to start in Portland, but if you can expand it beyond this geography to Oregon and the Northwest and all over the country, you eventually want to get there. You know, I think that it can, I, I really look at it as, as just what I mentioned, uh, kind of a, a beacon of information for other people to, to, to breed off of. So just like in New York, there's the Billion Oyster Project, which is a similar project to what we're doing here. And I think that from one to the next, we can learn from each other. And hopefully the next bay or the Chesapeake Bay is going to learn from what we do or from the Billion Oyster Project and keep growing one one project at a time to restore wetlands and to really show how important it is to have the full ecosystem of the bivalves and the crustaceans and, and all the other components of a true sustainable ecosystem in place so that we can have a more healthy planet to live on. You know, I was just thinking about it last night. I was walking downtown and I passed Danny Louise Oyster Bar. And I realized when I moved here, oysters weren't really a big thing. And then I I don't know whether it's because I'm closer to the industry and I'm noticing more things or because the oyster industry is just growing in 
this area. And by that, I mean people like you who've uh, done a lot of great things, not only with oysters, but fish in general. Um, Maylene at, at Olympia Oyster Bar. And, you know, I've been out now to Nevor Shellfish Farms many times yeah, in the last Travis year. Awesome. Yeah. And I didn't even know about these places a few years ago. So do you think it's, we have a growing, do we have a growing industry or is it just that I'm noticing and I'm like, and I, enjoy, I love oysters. Yeah, so. you're absolutely right. It, it is growing. So it's just shifted. So the industry has always been there, you know, all the way from the early, late 1800s, early 1900s, when the San Francisco boom was happening and they harvested and over harvested all those native Olympia oysters, which is our main focus for the Shuck Portland events. Uh, so oysters were happening way back when. But then what happened is that industry turned into, or it was really meant more for the shucked oyster meat. So they shuck the oysters and they take the shell off and, and it's for the oyster meat. Now what's happened is the um, the majority of the marketplace is shifting into the oysters on the half shell. Right. So it shifted from these different categories. Uh, so it's kind of always been there, but the, the focus right now is oysters on the half shell, more petite. Um, yeah, how's you know. the meat, how is that meat... It has to be marketed in mass quantities. How is that used? I don't run into... I mean, I see the big jars of oysters you can buy, or uh, but how is that... You know, it's like, the oyster, it's like the oyster shooters at those cheap dive bars right. that have the cocktail sauce and the little shot glass with no shell. It's That's where the jarred oysters go for. Also, you know, oyster po'boys, uh, so yeah, anything breaded, guess, fried, fried oysters. Um, in a shot glass covered up with cocktail sauce. And and that's fine. I mean, I think it's still getting oysters out there for the public. It's not the most pristine. Uh, you know, you don't have the brine from the actual oyster from that, the bay where they came yeah. from. So it's different. That's what you're missing when you have that. That's the uh, the taste of the ocean. There's nothing that I think that embodies the whole coast that more so than... You're absolutely right. Oysters. Yeah. Where are your favorite oysters? Where are they from? You know, I know, you, I'm not, I know that's tough for you because you got a lot of people that you deal with and you don't want to favor one. No, no, I'm okay. I mean, I, uh, you know, some people are definitely doing them better than others. And, and I am, you know, that's the first question I ask a customer when they come to my oyster bar is, you know, they ask me what I like and it really doesn't matter what I like because everybody likes different oysters. So for me, I like a smaller tumbled oyster. So more of a petite oyster that has a deep cup to it. I think that it has a cleaner, more briny flavor to it. Some people like a bigger oyster that has a little bit more sweet flavor, a little bit more meaty, a little bit more body to it. They want to get more volume out of the oyster. So for me, the smallest uh, oysters, the better. Um, you mentioned Nivor Shellfish. My buddy at Travis out, th- my buddy Travis out there that owns that company, he's doing a great job. He's got a little oyster called the Torque that his, is, is his tide tumbled oyster that grows in these bags that lift up and down with the with the tide and it hits against each other and creates a nice rounded oyster. That one's an awesome oyster. I really like Cushy's from up in British Columbia. I like the Chelsea Gems, um, which are up in Olympia as well. Um, Baywater Sweets are another Tide Tumbled. And of course, the you know hallmark of oysters are always going to be the Kumamoto and the Shigoku from Taylor Shellfish are, are amazing. So there's some new ones coming on board as well these days. The um, Down in Yaquina Bay, the Hoxie Cove are a new shellfish farm down there that are doing a really good job. Nice, clean, crisp oyster. So, so the, the so the farmers are able to tailor, uh, not, no pun intended with Taylor Shellfish <laughs> Farm, but the farmers are able to tailor an oyster to their their specifications Definitely. to make them a little differently. So I didn't know that. Yeah. So you either was, I just think it was indigenous to that area, and the the temperature of the water and those sorts of things had something to do with it. I'm sure they do. But and they do. Yeah. Right. They, they call it the, uh, the miroir and it's the As terroir, the terroir of, yeah. of wine. You've got the miroir of the sea. Uh, so, so not only do you have a bay where they come from, so you could just call it an Eld Inlet oyster, or you could call it a Neetarts oyster. But the problem is, is there's six growers on the Neetarts Bay and some people are doing things different than others. So like Travis over at Nivor, he wanted to brand his oysters separately because if somebody went to a restaurant and just saw Neetarts oysters, they're not sure if it was his oyster or the other five growers that are on the Neetarts Bay. So he's mm-hmm. calling his the Nivor Neetarts. Mm-hmm. So you can either have a bay where they come from, a generic Neetarts oyster or Eld Inlet oyster or Hammersley oyster, mm-hmm. or you can have a brand 
that comes from that specific area, or you can have a species of oyster. So there's the Olympia oyster, and that's a species. The Kumamoto is a species of oyster. The Virginica is a species of, species of oyster from the Chesapeake Bay on the East Coast. So you can either call it a species, you can call it the bay where they came from, or you can brand your own oyster as the Shigoku, which is Taylor Shellfish's brand. Oh. Probably a trademark I brand. Anything they want. Yeah. So are the uh, never... Um, I've had them plenty of times, but so they're not the big giant. No. When I first learned about Neatarts Bay oysters, it w- I went to Moe's, you know, back down in Newport, and I, uh-huh. I think, and they were so big, they're they're steaks. Yes. So, and that's part of the reason why Travis is doing his separately as a separate brand as Navor mm-hmm. Neatarts, because a lot of the other growers on Neatarts Bay let them grow a lot bigger, and so when somebody says, "I want a Neatarts oyster." You know, he wanted to specify because his are actually a lot smaller. That's important because I would naturally go probably shy away for you got anything smaller. That's right. Yeah, me too. That's how I I eat them. But not everybody's that way. So it's good to to define, you know, your oyster if it's going to be one direction or the other because you're going to attract the customers or your customers are going to hate them. So if you if they know what yours are, then they can order yours if they like yours. And right. they may not order yours. And when you see it on the chalkboard, it means something. Mm-hmm. How many different types of oysters are you going to have at Chuck Portland? Oh, boy. It, 2.0, right? Are you calling yeah, it 2.0? Yeah, that's what? a good good name for uh, it. No, we're just second annual. Second. Um, but we have, gosh, we have about 15 different oyster farms that are participating this year. We've got over 5,000 oysters to shuck on the opening night on Saturday, February 2nd. Just on the opening night. Yeah, for our launch party. And where's that going to be? That is going to be at the new EcoTrust Red East building that they just finished the completion on. Uh, it's the, the food hub over there. It's going to be an incredible space. I mean, this space holds like 600 people or something. So we're hoping to have two or 300 people and 5,000 oysters to eat. Uh, tickets are 15 bucks and include some oysters and a cocktail. So it's it's going to be an amazing event. And so what are, as long as we're talking about it, what are some of the other events that people can go to and give us an idea of what they can expect and how much it costs? And of course, you get all. You can find out all of this at shuckportland.com, correct? Dot, dot org, yes. Dot org. Yep. Yeah. Important that so, we mention that. So, yeah, Shuck, Shuck Portland is uh, an event that we created. I'm one of four co-founders of it. It's to raise money for native oyster restoration projects on the Oregon coast. So last year we donated over $10,000 to the Wetlands Conservancy and WEBS, which is the kind of wetlands conservancy organization out of Neatarts Bay, a nonprofit. So we have a series of six different events through the week, starting off with a big launch party on on Saturday, February 2nd, and then nothing on Sunday. Monday is a terroir, merroir class at Olympia Oyster Bar. Mylene is another co-founder of Shuck Portland with us. And then Tuesday is our panel discussion night at the EcoTrust building that's in downtown in Northwest. And that's where we have different ocean acidification experts, wetlands experts, oyster farmers, and we talk about, you know, what are we doing? How can we help? How can we get boots on the ground where you can go and volunteer and actually do some of the work yourself? So that's Tuesday night at the EcoTrust building. Wednesday night is my Oysters 101 class. I'm hosting that at Tornant's space over in Southeast Portland. And that's going to be Taylor Shellfish is going to have five different species of oysters. And we're pairing those with Sake One, which is the local um, sake brewery out in Forest Grove, Oregon. Mm-hmm. So we've got a wonderful pairing between oysters and sake for that night. Uh, nothing on Thursday night. Friday night is our fancy dinner. It's going to be a woman uh, chef-inspired uh, dinner. Um, Bonnie from Kachika, mm-hmm. uh, Mylene from Olympia Oyster Bar, uh, Kristen from Maurice, uh, Sarah from Nightwood, and then um, we've got cocktails as well there, um, which are, are professionally paired by the lady's name that I can't think of at this moment. So that's Friday night at Nightwood. Okay. Uh, tickets are $175 a person for that. Right. It's called the Pacific Ocean Dinner. I think I went to that, that last year. That was the one you yeah. yeah. yes. Yeah. I yeah. think. Last year it was with Vitaly Paley. Yeah. And then, et cetera. We had um, addition. He was the headliner chef for that one. That, right. That wild surgeon. How was that? That was, yeah, that was great. Yeah. Everything, that, that was a really nice night. Thank you. Thank you. And then we are, we close it off on Sunday night with a private party for the sponsors and vendors and, and that sort of stuff and all volunteers and stuff. And we're doing that at um, Enoteca. 
Nice. It's going to be. I was waiting for the Natalia connection. Yeah. I mean, she's she's weaved throughout all of this. Natalia Toral. Yes. Uh, Natalia is one of the four co-founders as well. And I forgot to mention on Saturday, um, Jarrett is one of the other co-founders. Jarrett Foster from Tornot. He is doing an outdoor cooking class called Fire and Brine at Mm. the Puff Coffee Space over by that Stumptown owns um, there on Division Southeast Division. So that Saturday is the. That's a lot for you class. to remember. I'm impressed. Yeah. yeah. And everybody should be very, you know, it's easy to forget one thing. Yeah. So, um, so one, one other thing on top of all those events, those are our kind of in house events that we do for Shuck Portland. Like that's our wheelhouse for the co founders. Uh, and, and those are the events that we host. Outside of that, we've got the participating restaurants that are dozens of participating restaurants around the city that all put a dish on their menu for Shuck Portland. And they donate a percentage of the proceeds to Shuck Portland from that dish. So that's another great way to support Shuck Portland is to go to these participating restaurants that are listed on the website. And they're all donating a percentage of their proceeds to this nonprofit work as well. Good. So um, is the, uh, so you said you generated $10,000 yep. last year. Does that go very far? And is the... That's great, but I'm sure in the process of generating that, you're educating a lot of people and getting them, getting them to think about oysters and think about sustainability and issues that are very important to you. The last time you were on this podcast, I could not keep up with all the things that you're involved with. Politically speaking, you know, you're in Washington advocating for lots of things. So I would imagine the event itself, it's great to raise money um, for a good cause, but around that is just this awareness of this industry and what needs to be done, uh, especially in this environment right now where out of Washington, they're not caring about any of this stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. No, this is, this stuff is, is near. I, and I mean, Washington, DC, Washington, DC. Yeah. This is near and dear to, to all of us in the future of, of shellfish. Uh, climate change is affecting shellfish production and, and the ocean and, uh, Climate change is, is significant. What's happening is the pH of the water is changing and it's making it more acidic. So the oysters and all shellfish, for that matter, that have a hard exoskeleton, when they are first little, born, little babies, basically, um, they try to form that exoskeleton with a more acidic environment. They can't form that, so they die. So they have more more die off at that young age. So we're trying to learn with how, how can we continue to adapt to those changing climates and it's important to for humans to realize that it's self-inflicted that we are doing this damage to the environment and just everything that we do whether it be the chemical that you use to clean your sinks or the driving to the corner store instead of walking there that those things are changing and uh, on top of that we need to support our small local family-run businesses whether it be an oyster farm or whether it be a oyster restaurant or whatever it may be, uh, the local chefs, et cetera, because in this day and age, our food has gone in a direction of more commodity, you know, bigger bigger scale chains, and I think it's got to come step backwards back to the basics. That's nationally, though. In Portland, yeah. we haven't gone that No, direction. fortunately. Gone the exact opposite. I mean, it's almost... Uh embarrassing for people to go to a chain. Oh, like, I know. oh, you have to make an excuse. What a blessing. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so we're doing, we're doing pretty well here. Um, what other things outside of Shuck? Uh, Cause I know you're doing a lot. Have you been advocating for in the, over the last year? So important projects you've been involved with. Yeah. So I still do work with um, national fisheries policy work. So out of Washington, DC, I work for a nonprofit called Marine Fish Conservation Network. And what we do is we're advocating for sustainable fisheries policy. So sustainability is kind of such a green tag word, um, which is, is tricky. But what I do is I work with fishermen, I work with the consumers, I work with chefs, and then I also work directly in Washington, DC. And I try to blend all this together. So we are at the table in both the House of Representatives and the Senate when there's policy being written to go into into place that affects our national policy, our national fisheries. We're there to make sure that the fishermen are protected and the consumers are protected and that we're writing this stuff in a way that is advantageous to, to all parties involved. 
So it's a nonprofit work. I write blogs for them. I travel to the East Coast, um, to D.C., and meet with the congressmen and the senators, uh, meet with them here as well. And we talk about different policy that's going through on both Columbia River and the sea lion bill that just went through and, and, and the spill over the dams and as much work as we can do to help protect stuff. Who's paying for all that to to get you to Washington D.C. The nonprofit is they mm-hmm. yeah they have they have funders who are vested into making making sure that these laws are are written in a way that's advantageous for both the conservation groups and you know and in industry let's say so I've done work in the past for Pew Charitable Trusts you know Oceana all these kind of conservation groups are you know putting money into onto the into the table to to make sure that this stuff is written. How many other people like you out, are out there? Because, you know, I just learned of your 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 business a few years ago yeah. uh, when you had your, it was a cart, yeah. basically. And uh, I don't remember hearing a lot of people advocating the way you have, who have been as passionate about it. Um, are there other folks in that we're not aware of, or is it just Leaf is, is, is carrying <laughs> the banner? You know, fortunately, we've got a, a, a pretty good contingency of, of, of friends in the industry and, and different people I work with. So there's certainly not just me, but I, I consider it quite a... Um, a compliment the other day when I was talking to Bobby at Pew and he goes, you know, we need more leaf Gildersleeves out there in this That's, world. Yeah, he and I and, was thinking the same way. <laughs> you know, I, I, I took that near and dear to my heart and I, I'm grateful for all, all compliments. So, so thank you. And you're doing all of this. You got a family yes. too. So, and you, you're, I'm sure a loving father and husband, you need to spend time with them. How do you find the balance? Well, you know, I uh, it is a balance, and, and relationships are a, a tricky balance at that. I do have two kids. I've got a five-year-old son, actually a six-year-old son now, and then an eight-year-old daughter. And my wife uh, takes care of them the majority of the time. She's a professional photographer outside of those um, category, outside of that um, responsibility. So I am gone a lot of the time. I've got a couple days a week that I take off and those are my days to take care of the kids and let her have some free time uh, without that responsibility. But over the years, the last eight years here in Portland, it has been quite a ride. In my middle years, I was all over the place doing carts and doing wholesale to restaurants and farmers markets and smoking my salmon and selling it to all the new season stores and delivering to Intel campuses and everything. And then I really wasn't around much and I've, I've pulled back from all that. So now I just have my one retail location for Flying Fish Company over at Provador Fine Foods at 24th is, and Sandy. Which is a wonderful place to be because Thanks. you're amongst a lot of great products. and Oh, it's a food yeah, playground. Yeah, it's a food. It's a, it. it's a wonderful spot. If no yeah. one's been there, it's uh, Provador is really a special market. Thanks. Yeah, we're at 2340 Northeast Sandy. It's called Provador Fine Foods. I own Flying Fish Company. I have the retail fish market in there. I've got a little sub-brand called the Meat Mongers, which is the meat butcher counter. In yeah, there. so why why stop at fish when you can add meat to the yeah. equation? Yeah, too? and then I've got the little oyster bar that has a little sit-down eight-seat um, oyster bar that goes along with it. You know, I've always done meat. I In Utah, when I started this 10 years ago, selling at the farmer's markets, how I started with meat was I was selling my fish out of coolers there at the farmer's markets in Park City. And... One farmer's market would have all the vendors with meat and fish and bread and everything else. And then the next farmer's market in the next little town down didn't have any meat in it. So I would pick up meat from the vendor at the Park City farmer's market and then sell it at the next market down in the next town because there was people there that wanted to buy my fish but also wanted to buy beef and lamb. So I just literally was an opportunistic guy and I just picked up meat from this guy and sold it down to the next one because there's no other vendors there to sell meat. And so that's kind of how it's continued on here. So we work with local ranches, grass-fed beef, um, like Carmen Ranch, local lamb from Reister Farms up in Washougal, um, the Tails and Trotters pork. And so all the good stuff that's the smallest farms possible. And it's it's amazing. That's, uh, yeah, well, it's all it's all good products. So if you want dinner, you go down to Provador and talk to uh, talk to you. Thanks. So, Thank um what are some of the uh, what are some of the things that you get to do outside of this? Do you ever get to drop the your seafood and food world and just go on vacation that has nothing to do with looking for the best oysters? <laughs> last year I did. I was in Mexico in January and that was about heaven on earth. You know, and I also last year went rafting in the middle of Idaho on the Salmon River uh, with no cell phone service for a week and 
That was How the, was that? That was the second best. As I, ch- as I turned my notifications off here. <laughs> that was the second best heaven on earth. Anytime I can get away from cell phone range, I think is the, the best time that I can have personally because it's always blasting me. I really use my phone for business and anything else is pretty much try to put it down and not worry about it because if I'm, there's just too much coming at me. So can you envision 30 years ago doing what you do and would you have been able to without a cell phone? Well, it wouldn't, it would, I mean, it's not as easy. think about writing everything down on yeah. a pad. You got a pad in front of yeah. you right now. That's impressive. Yeah. What are you writing? I what keep, you, what I keep notes, notes you know, just in case we talked about something and keep a little oh, note, a little bullet point of, hey, this is something to think about or a movie to watch or something to write down, some topic, some website. So I, I'm pretty good at my notes. I'm a, I'm a kind of bullet point kind of a person. So I like to write stuff down and, and just check it off the list. I'm a highly effective person and you know, super motivated. So it's just, if, if something's there, I've got so much on my mind that if I don't write it down, it's kind of gone in 10 seconds and, and I need you as, I need you as a life coach. (laughs) I've never been good at any of those things. And somehow I'm still here. I'm a lot older than you. So I, I, I wonder where, where you'll be in a few years. What do you see for yourself and what would you like to be doing when your kids are off? I assume you want them to go to college. Sure. Um, what do you want for them? You know, I you grew up in the business. I did, right? So your your father obviously, may, not obviously, but may have wanted this for you, and he got his wish. You know, it's kind of funny. My dad just retired a couple of years back after uh, starting the business in 1979, the year before I was born in 1980. So as a kid, I grew up helping packaging fish, selling fish dealing with small family business. And as a kid, I didn't think, oh, I'm going to be a fishmonger when I grow up. It was just kind of what I did as the family business. I studied in an oceanographic institute in college, so still stayed within that fisheries kind of world, Uh, then got out of it for quite a few years and did sales and marketing and real estate. And then after the recession hit, I got laid off my full-time job. And that's when I started back in the fish business because I was like, I couldn't really find other work. And I knew that's fish. Knew. So, so that's how I fell back into it. And here we are 10 years later. So another chapter has gone by. I'm 38 years old now. And, you know, trying to evaluate what's going to be, it's, it's hard to say. I, I'm, I'm super happy with what I do. I love the food business. Uh, lately, I've been, I actually picked up a stage, little apprenticeship with Greg Gourdet down at Departure. Oh, that's right. Uh, and I've been working in the kitchen. when I went in. Oh, that's right. You did the duck, duck month last month. Right. Uh, so I, I've been in the kitchen there getting some more culinary experience and and working on on getting the the chef skills going um, more extensively. We're doing pop up dinners at my oyster bar now. Did one on Saturday night with Chef Trevor from Departure, and we'll do another one with uh, Chef Andre from um, that's with me now um, over Valentine's Day, and we do cooking classes. So th- being in the food world is certainly where I'd like to continue. Although it's such a challenging industry with so much. It's so, it's so hard. It costs so much money to do business, and there's just not a lot of meat left on the bone when it's all said and done. There's not a lot of net profits left. It's you know million dollars of gross revenue, but is there anything left after yeah. it's all said well, and done? It's I, tough. You know, doing this podcast, I always want to say to everybody, are you making money? Because not everybody. It's got to be tough out there. It's and tough. you know, I was down this morning in Slabtown. And there's all there are all these new buildings and all this restaurant space down there that is not going to be cheap. Yeah, where is this? Who who's going to occupy those spaces? They're not going to be your local the the person who used to open restaurants from the food cart or no. that used to work for Gregory or you know or. Yeah. Uh, I don't it's kind of like South Waterfront. You know, it's taken so many years for that place to get established. And I had a food truck down there for a while. And it just, it was a tough spot. You know, those buildings apparently are most of the way full or halfway full, but there's just not a lot of people that are supporting those. And and you're right, is that it takes anywhere from 200000 to $500,000 to open and operate one of those restaurants. And, you know, those, those kind of restaurants are going to be owned by a restaurant group or a little bit larger chain and that. And so it is tough to take that jump into that category. It would be interesting to evaluate all these different restaurants that have gone from carts to brick and mortar in Portland, because a lot of our best restaurants have Lardo, Pock Pock, all of these guys, myself, Flying Fish, we've all started in carts and a lot of us ended up in brick and mortar. And it'd just be interesting to see the success stories of the cart to brick and mortar and then interview those people and see if that was really a good choice or not, because sometimes you're deep into it and you're like, oh shit, I kind of just want that cart back. (laughs) 
<laughs> no one, no one I know wants a card back. That's true, but it's still an interesting topic, <laughs> right? And and so now you've got you know look at Andy Ricker. We had him on recently, and Rick at Lardo. Yeah, they're now becoming those brands you're talking about that are going to yeah. open somewhere else. They've opened in Las Vegas. They're now part of a group. That's true. Right? Or yeah. they're licensing what they're doing. They're not necessarily opening it per se, but they're licensing out what they're doing. And so those little little local food carts are now becoming larger businesses who are also, it's possible they're going to be swallowed up by bigger companies. That's at true. Some point. Like so maybe it's chapters turning into books. Burger. Look yeah. At, you know. Yeah. What, but it also becomes Micah's challenging. Got a different, Micah's got a different motivation or a different plan than those guys had. They just wanted to open a nice restaurant at some point. Yeah. So just, just, but just think about Rick's example. For, uh, you know, he, he's had his challenges with taking those steps up and moving into the restaurant groups and that, because that comes with expectations and responsibilities and, and, and that's also challenging. And lawsuits. And law, that's what I mean. It's yeah. you, you, you get in and it depends who you're going to play in the sandbox with. And if you're not making those right choices out of the gates and all of a sudden you're like, oh shit, maybe I shouldn't have done this or I shouldn't got these guys involved. And now you're in a pickle. Right. And it's, so it's, it's tough. These are all tough, tough decisions to make when you're in business because it takes a lot of capital. I mean, I've still, I still struggle getting, getting capitalized properly with conventional bank loans. I've always had to just get friends and family loans for five and $10,000 and get multiples of them to try to do this and to buy me this piece of refrigerator because banks are paying the ass. Relationships with a lot of people, a lot of friends and a lot of family. And those are sometimes dangerous relationships. They are just like friends and family working for you has been dangerous and and challenging uh, with, with having guidelines and especially when they put money into it. So you you don't have the leverage that you want to, yeah. Have you're giving that away. But so. I do think it is, you know, even though that has that sometimes strains your friends and family relationships, at least getting them to invest five or ten thousand dollars in you, I still think that's easier. They're they're a little bit more flexible with you most of the time than a conventional bank is gonna be. So right. although it is challenging and it does strain your personal relationships, I do think that it sometimes can be easier to go that route, at least in the beginning. Not when you're gonna go invest in a three hundred thousand dollar restaurant, but right. for the Fifty thousand or hundred thousand to open this or that. It it may be an easier route sometimes. Yeah, and I think it's pretty well known in the restaurant business when you're investing ten to twenty thousand in a friend. It's a risky investment, so you have to you have to be comfortable with. I may never see this, but I'm going to get a seat at the bar, you know, when I want it. Yeah. That's that's a lot of the reason for investing at, at that point no one's going to get no one's going to turn their ten thousand dollar investment into two hundred thousand no say, this is great. it's just making your eight percent back and and you did somebody a favor right. I, mean, I personally guaranteed all my loans to my friends and family you know even if that didn't work out it wouldn't have worked out with flying fish i was still going to pay them back regardless i wasn't going to say oh sorry if that business didn't work out i know you lent it to me i was, was i put problem. my name yeah. behind it and and was going to do that some people probably wouldn't do that but that was just me and the relationships that i leveraged to do that i made sure that it was going to be me regardless my risk not yours um, but i appreciated that much do you someday want your own brick and mortar not be in provador you know it uh or in addition to being in Providence? Yeah, you know, I, I think that, I mean, that's part of the reason why I'm I'm training right now in the in the kitchen to get the culinary skills going on. You know, it could be an option, but then again, if I'm talking about doing less rather than more owning my own restaurant, it's probably not the category to do less. Right. So I've gone both directions with it. So we'll kind of see. One of the directions I've also thought about in the future is to help other people start fish markets and in nationally. So kind of franchise or uh, use... Um, you know, license the name and, and help people start restaurants, you know, more sustainable fish markets and stuff. Cause there's just not a lot of fish markets anywhere you go. Right. And I'm sure that you've had experience that can be drawn upon. Um, Certainly. That, you know, other people haven't. Tell us a little bit about the experience of working in that big kitchen at departure. What's oh that man. Been? What thing is a monster. Yeah. The thing is a monster and not a monster in size, but a monster in volume. They do like 500 covers a night or something. And especially in the summer times and the, the prep work starts at seven o'clock in the morning. You know, I've been on that prep crew all the way from the 7 a.m. shift uh, and, and just all the work it takes to get each 
component in place, the mise en place of 20 different items just for one station. And it's just incredible. It's incredible, the volume. I was there for duck month and they, they served almost a thousand ducks for the month. And so the prep work to be able to butcher those ducks and prep them and cure them and blanch them and hang them and, and roast them and fry them and oh my gosh and then carve them and, and yeah, present them and, and do the whole thing is just the a lot of it is that on the spot right yeah they're because they're presenting the duck and then come back 20 minutes later with it yeah as a, in a different form that's right in a different form and then they make the stock every night for that or the broth so you can drink that and then the duck fat ice cream and it's amazing uh greg Gourdet does an amazing job he's got some amazing chef de cuisine jonathan renton that's behind him and then his sous chefs uh chef trevor chef ben uh, they they all do a phenomenal job to to run the ship and the the staff the the line cooks that are behind and the prep cooks they all respect their their elders in a in a big way and, you know, they, they run a really tight ship and they use great ingredients, not a lot of crap, uh, not any crap in the ingredients with preservatives and, and products, China, nothing like that. It's all, it's all top-notch stuff. Greg is really sensitive with his eating, um, as is my wife, with, you know, gluten-free and dairy-free and egg-free and all the different ca- categories that you can go in there. And so he, they've got like six different menus. If you're egg-free, then here's your menu. If you're citrus-free, then here's your menu. And, 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 and so they're really sensitive with all the preparation of all those ingredients because they can just take this piece out or take that piece out that has that ingredient in it. So, you know, it's, I, I, I wanted to go for the best uh, when I wanted to learn in the kitchen. And that's one of the best kitchens in Portland and one of the most reputable and, and most renowned. And, and uh, Chef Greg being, being on Top Chef, the runner-up five, five or so years ago on that, he's nationally acclaimed chef. And, and it's, just, it's just a phenomenal situation. He's also such a nice guy. I mean, he's Sweetheart. running two, right, two restaurants the size of Departure. Yeah. And he just comes across as this gentle, yep. gentle guy. Yeah, he, he, would not, he would not be the stereotype that you would think. No, he's super gentle. He's super cognizant of his employees and, and how they're feeling that day. And, and he's sensitive to their feelings and the relationships they have. But he's also firm in his, uh, what he wants and the, 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 the level of perfection in the products that he's serving. He's there to make sure that it's good. I mean, he travels a lot as well. So he's got to have his, his next guys in line to be able to hold those standards up high as well. But he's he's firm but sweet and and an awesome awesome character. How many people in that kitchen? I mean, there's fifteen or twenty people every night working in there to to make all that happen. And there, and that's just at night. You got a whole prep crew too. So that's that, right. That's a that's a that's a lot. So do you see yourself moving staging somewhere else? No, no, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I'm, this I'm, is. Even phasing down from that right now, just just going to focus on my business and just hired on on my friend Chef Andre Uribe, who just came on after seven years with Bon Appetit. He's the executive chef. He was the executive chef at Willamette University for the last three and Intel campuses before that. So we've got some amazing stuff that we're working on with uh, cooking classes at the Oyster Bar. Oh, cool! And we're doing a pop up dinner for Valentine's Day and and um, you know home. Are you cooking meals for Valentine's Day? Him and yeah. I, yeah. Oh, cool. He, he's the he'll he'll head it up. He's the exec. Uh, he's he's got the capacity. I'm still, you know. At kind of the sous chef level of I can follow and, and, and have the culinary skills to do it, but I, I haven't got the experience yet to be able to actually create these eight course incredible menus that have all the fancy sauces and, and, and that. That's, those are the components that I'm learning now. So people can find that at flyingfishcompany.com. Company. Yeah. C-O-M-P-A-N-Y. Yes. Yeah. Dot com. And also some of your, the uh, if, if I want to revisit going out, you know, to the, uh, going out deep sea fishing with you. Yes, let's do it. We'll do it again. Yeah, and now, Garibaldi now, Charters is who who sets us up with that out of Garibaldi. Uh, we go out and meet up at like six o'clock in the morning out of Garibaldi and go out for the day, rock fishing off the Oregon coast, off of Cape Lookout and such, drop a couple crab pots on the way out, get our limits of rockfish, black rockfish. What are people bring in? I did, I did go out once. Yeah. Not with you, but yeah. I went out a few years ago and I ended up with a lot of halibut and salmon. With, oh, well, that's a good There were only four trip. of us and we shared the, the bounty. I caught a salmon, pretty good-sized salmon. Yeah. That was my, I'm glad to have had that experience. I'd love to do it again, just not when it's 
when pissing. buckets of rain, yeah. not <laughs> pissing, it was buckets of rain that day. It was, it was ugly. So um, we'll have to do that. But uh, at flyingfishcompany.com, you're, you can also um, order a product as well. Yeah, I just started a new delivery service similar to the Instacart type of, of setup uh, where it's called Mercato, M-E-R-C-A-T-O.com, um, and it's on the website. So I basically have all my products listed on there, and you click on this and click on that, and then it gets delivered that day. And there's a courier service that comes and picks that product up so that we pack the order, and then the courier service picks it up and delivers it to your house. Right now there's... Um, a promotional code on there for free delivery. So literally the same prices you get as if you come into Flying Fish yourself. And then, but instead you can just go through and click it and then we pick, pack the order and the courier service picks it up and delivers it to your house. And it's a pretty straightforward service. So this is the first time I've ever offered that kind of a service. And it's been a couple months so far since I've been online with that. So still getting it ramped up. It's not necessarily busy in that category yet, but you know, I've got the fish and oysters and everything in there every day anyway. So why not add a home delivery service? It seems to be the and direction. And that's in the Portland Metro, I would Yeah, imagine. it's like eight mile radius or something that you can do. Mm-hmm. You gotta, I have to make different decisions to be able to get the, any kind of delivery in my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a coasty here. Well, also <laughs> where I am in Southwest, where we live. Also, got it. That's, you know, no one, no one pays attention to anyone out there. Although Pac Pac just came out that way. So that was nice. Um, so how many people does it take to put on Shuck, Portland? Oh, gosh, we've got probably two dozen two dozen people that help between the volunteers and bartenders and, and all of us co-founders. And, um, and then, you know, we've got the dozen oyster farms and another dozen wineries and beer and spirits. Uh, we've got some financial uh, contributors to the equation as well. I'm guessing Eric Russ is going to be there. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> you know it. Is, is there anybody who shows up, his, whose face shows up at more places <laughs> and events than his? Hey, it's how you get your brand out. Oh, man. That's, that's the, he's really doing a good job doing that with Pono Brewing. Yep. Mention yeah. more he's than brewing that. He's brewing an oyster beer right now with oyster shells, and, and I think it's going to be an oyster stout, which is typically the, the direction you go with a oyster in beer, but that's going to be released at our launch party on Saturday, February 2nd. Did he have that last year, too? No. Nope. He didn't. This is first first time for him. So we're recording um, a couple of weeks before the event, week and a half, I think, before you start. Or maybe yeah, a week. Sounds about right. This will be released on the second, I think, on thirty first or something. The thirty first, right? Yeah. Thank you. Um, so, based on what you know, last year, mm-hmm. are a lot of the events going to be available? They when are. People yeah. Hear this? Yeah. 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 So the ticket sales have been going great. We have. I mean, even before we started really um, promoting it this year over the last couple of weeks, we've already had, you know, half of the classes and stuff selling, selling out basically, or not selling out, but half of the class is full. So, you know, by the time the event launches and, and the event week, I'm sure we'll just like last year, we'll sell out all the events. The big one I would say is to come to that launch party on Saturday, February 2nd at the EcoTrust building, get tickets online and it's only 15 bucks and includes three oysters and a cocktail and then you can purchase additional oysters or drinks when you're there and it's going to be this amazing new space that EcoTrust just built out that can hold like 600 people so we're promoting that one that one's you know we're not going to sell that one out so Saturday February 2nd is the big big launch party ton of fun a dozen oyster farms shucking their own oysters and and other vendors and amazing food from Chef Sarah at Nightwood it's going to be phenomenal are there any events I seem to recall this and maybe it was a private media event where unlimited oysters for entry. Because I remember one, no. one, of, one of my favorite events uh, ever in my life was before when I was in Connecticut and it was at the Summer Shack at the Mohegan Sun for like, I think it was 35 bucks. You could enter in all you can eat because it was nice. a shucking contest. Yeah. And I, my record <clears throat> of oysters, and I've never tried to beat it since, was like 52. Yeah. In one shot. Oh, God. Some people can eat 152. Really? Bonkers. Yeah, we were afraid to do anything where it's unlimited oysters because all of a sudden, you know, all these oysters are being donated by these farms. So right. I didn't. we didn't want to get into a situation where we promised that you're going to have all-you-can-eat oysters and then we had too many people sign up and then all of a sudden we under-deliver 
for you coming expecting unlimited oysters and Besides, we're sold out. Yeah, people can get gluttonous. You uh, think? You know, <laughs> especially when oysters, you know, in the half shell are now generally two, three, sometimes even a little more yep. at most restaurants. Yep. I mean, I remember the days where they were buck. That was yep. basically it. It was a buck and oyster. Now yep. that, that's, that, that's a good happy hour. It is, yeah, very far and few between as well, because that's basically what they cost. And is it really? So yeah. that's the, the margin on them. Yeah. If it's two bucks, is like a hundred, is yeah. a hundred percent markup. Yeah, but then there's work on that too. Well, yeah, you, you got, got some you that got die overhead. that open up, and yeah. you got some that crack when you try to open them and stuff. So you, it's it's not a double by any means. Good. Yeah. So are we missing anything? Anything that I'm not, I didn't prompt that you need to, you need to impart. No, man, this is this is going to be fun. I really appreciate you having me back on and talking about shuck and talking about flying fish. This is it's excellent. It's this food uh, community here in Portland and the listeners abroad and and nationally and it's such great to such great support and I think that we're all in a position where we want to support local. We want to eat better. We want to support places that are doing better things and and this is how it's happening is we've got to just keep building it one block at a time one person at a time you vote with your dollars you vote with your mouth you eat the right food every day we have a choice to either improve the world or hurt the world with what we what we're eating and our choices that we're making with where we're spending our money so i think it's really important for you listeners out there um, to keep supporting podcasts like this and your local farms, go to the farmer's market, you know, go to the restaurants where you can talk to the chef, ask the sh- servers where that herb crusted salmon is coming from, because it's really important to not be supporting the shitty farm raised Atlantic salmon that's commodity produced, that's hurting the environment. They're non-native species that are getting released that are hurting the wild salmon in the Northwest. Um, we don't want to be eating stuff that has chemical colors in it, the preservatives that are industry standard in the seafood industry and, and every industry for that matter. So really important to be the Portlandia pain in the ass and ask what the chicken's name is and support the people that are doing it right. And this is how we're going to make a movement really happen is one bite at a time, one person at a time, one dollar at a time. And, you know, it's people like you that are supporting supporting it. And oh, no, no, no. It's and, people like you that yeah, are really making it happen. Yeah. And so, you know, we're not big on having um, on having people who have events on the podcast because a lot of our listeners are evergreen. Like mm-hmm. 50% of the people listening to this are going to be listening to it after Shuck. Yep. But so they know that Shuck 3, you're, the third annual is coming up. Yep. But the real reason we wanted to have you on is because you're such a voice for um, a good cause, and you know so much. I can't Thanks. keep up with you. I can never, <laughs> I can never be as articulate as you are on your subject. I mean, it just keeps coming for you. Thanks. And um, so, for that, for that reason, it's uh, a pleasure to have you on. It's been great to get to know you, and thank you until today for giving me, you know, a waiver on not showing up that day. But today, I got a little coastal guilt. Oh, you're so good. I'll, you're no, good. No, no, no. I'll give you shit all day long, but you're all good. It's, no. it's you know, just life, and and it's just all about the journey, and and it's 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 all good in my world. And you always have a smile on your face. Thank I'm you. telling you, you go to your events or you go anywhere where you are, and there's a, you're just happy to be there. Yeah, you're you're living, you're living life, but work is work seems really fun for you. Yeah, life is too short to waste a damn day, man. Every day is precious, and. And, you know, it's too many friends or people. Sometimes they just get plucked off this earth and, and you know, we don't know when our day is going to come. We're all dying every day. Yeah. It's coming no, closer it's, to the end. All, we all have one. Yeah, we all have no, one, whether it be tomorrow when, or the oops, next. And, and, it's a matter of when it is. Yep. But um, anyway, so th- we're glad you, we're all three of us alive here and That's able right. to put out this podcast with you today. High five, Thank baby. you so much. <laughs> Are we really going to end on that note, like talking about death? That's that's the positive end <laughs> no, of this great let's, podcast. Uh, all right, so let's <laughs> let's try I mean, this. We, we can. can we can't end. We have, and we have. Oh, we're right. We're right on time. No, you're right you, on you the nailed thing. It. So, Leaf, um, where uh, other than oysters on the half shell? Because uh, to me, that's a little bit of a commodity. Some of the mignonettes that are served with it, those make a difference. But where can we get some incredible seafood dishes in Portland right now? Chefs serving, doing great jobs with restaurants. So, you know, there's that's what I get the question all the time. And unfortunately, there's not too many seafood restaurants around. That's, but some have great dishes. Yeah, there's a lot of places that have 
a few great seafood dishes and then um, but not many that are totally focused on it so i i'll I'll give props to Jacqueline. I think that they're doing a great job. I went there one night uh, a couple months back and, and nice smaller kind of plates, reasonably priced overall. Um, so I think that they're doing a great job over on Southeast Clinton. And then, of course, there's Cabazon that's um, been doing a great job for there's a long time. It's an underrated place. You yeah. don't hear about that a lot. No. In the, like You don't hear about it in Eater. And no slight to Brooke, but I just don't, you don't hear people talking about Cabazon. No. And it's great. Yeah. Yeah. People People love that one. Um, you know, apart from that, everybody else is kind of just the one-offs, you know, a couple seafood dishes here, a couple seafood dishes here. So of course I'll give props to departure because I've been working there and, and experiencing some of their products firsthand with their kampachi and, and their poke and, and things that they really take that I've learned a lot from as far as handling and, and how to prepare it and get it all the way to that finished product. Um, are you a big sushi eater? Not too big. Not too. That's big. interesting. Yeah. You would think you would be. You know, I uh, it's 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 kind of unfortunately with with families, you kind of blend to what everybody eats because you got to kind of have group consensus in a way. Right. So my family doesn't oh, so eat as Applebee's much sushi. For you. <laughs> no, not Applebee's for me. Uh, my wife is gluten free, dairy free, egg free, soy free, corn free, food free. Um, yeah, almost. Yeah, almost. So I've got that's part of the reason why I've got to learn how to cook so well is because I can cook for those kind of categories and so i'll tell you i eat pork when i go out to eat a restaurant because we don't eat pork at my house mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> so, uh, so sushi doesn't happen too often for for my family either um but i know that uh cody uh, um, is doing a great fish. job over nimble has been been he's and been highly recognized i was lately. gonna ask yeah. you and i don't usually ask um with a mic in front of people without yeah. giving them a heads up yeah but have you been in notoguro Oh, Ryan's done a great job. I actually haven't participated um, there myself, but I, I, I've eaten his food all the way when he was back at um, at Masu, and mm-hmm. and um, he's he's amazing. He's yeah. got a great reputation. I, and, do, I have to get back there. It's been a while. Yeah, yeah, his, he's phenomenal. He comes into Provador and grabs some stuff here and there when he when he needs to piece meals together, and and great guy. So I, I support him for good. sure. Um, great, thank you yeah. so much. Yeah, and we'll look forward to seeing you. Uh, uh, at Shuck, Portland. Yay. So dates again, February 2nd. February 2nd through February 9th, shuckportland.org. And then my company is Flying Fish Company, and that's flyingfishcompany.com. Cool. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com.